God, thank you for these words, for this music. We pray that you would be all for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. What is God's will for me? This is one of the big questions that I've heard the most in my ministry in the church over the years. What does God want from us? Why are we here? What are we meant to do? Sometimes I think we might be a little afraid of the answer because we might want to do our own thing instead of whatever God wants. But I think most of us still want to know, what is God's will for me? Can you think of a time when that has been your question? Maybe you're asking it right now in your life. Answering this big question is the subject of today's scripture passage. And we want to ask God to help us as we open up the text. Let's just pray one more time. Jesus, come now with power. Turn these simple words into life. Open our hearts and minds so that we can hear your word to us today and help us to know and follow your will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last Sunday, Scott Dudley began our series on James, a very practical letter that was written by the Apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem, But much of the church was quickly scattered all across the Roman Empire by persecution. And his pastor's heart wanted to encourage these new Christians in their suffering and answer their big questions about how to live their lives according to God's will. So the letter of James is the result. And it was one of the first letters that circulated across the early church. In today's passage, James starts and ends by telling us what God desires. What is God's will for us? What it is that is pleasing in God's sight? He answers our first question very simply. James says, God's will for you is this. Receive God's word and live it out. Do what it says. And that's the sermon for today. Receive God's word and live it out. James repeats this several times, so we get it. So just check in with you all. Are you all with me here? Let's repeat it out loud like James repeats it together. Receive God's word and live it out. Very good. We're awake. In our passage today, James gives lots of examples of what, what he's talking about. So let's look at what James writes. In verses 19 and 20, he says, Anger is not the path to the right living, the right relationships that God desires. I bet we can all think of Christians who seem more defined by what they are angry about than by how good a listener they are. And it's not just the self-righteous TV Christians that uh, unleash their fury on all those people, whoever the God-forsaken sinners are that they're talking about. It happens to us in our everyday lives as well. Last weekend, a friend of mine was complaining to me about a Christian who would call her up once in a while. 
Was she calling my friend to be quick to listen and slow to speak? No, she calls my friend to tell her that my friend is going to hell. I suggested caller ID. (laughs) Not really. For some reason, we forget that Jesus directed his anger to the self-righteous religious people and his mercy to the sinful people, not the other way around. And James reemphasizes this at the end of our passage. Religion that pleases God is not to give free reign to our religious rantings. That kind of religion is worthless, empty, and self-deceived, says James. So God's will for us is not anger or religious ranting. Instead, God's will for us is what? Receive God's word and live it out. So what does James mean by receiving, accepting, listening to God's word? First, James challenges us to humbly accept the word rooted in us, which can save us. Did you hear that? God's word can save us. God's word is at the center of God's desire for you. It's not some optional thing for the super spiritual. God's word is a matter of life and death, and God wants it to be life for you. James says, stop trying to save yourself and let the love of God into the center of who you are. The Bible says only God's unending love can save and transform us. Scott Dudley preached about God's love last week, and I don't think we can hear about God's love, God's love too much. When I was being examined by the Seattle Presbytery to see whether they would approve me coming here to serve you, I told them that it was my hope that First Press Bellevue would hear about God's love and Christ's kingdom so much that you'd get sick of it. (laughs) Or be transformed by it. They voted me in, so I guess that was the right answer. (laughs) God's love is the right answer. And we need to accept God's love and allow it to take root deep down to save and transform us. And I would guess that there may be some here today who have never really accepted God's love. Maybe you know very little about Jesus and the Bible, or maybe you know a lot, but you haven't allowed God's love to come deep down inside. If that's you, let God's love in, deep down, for real. Tell Jesus you accept his love and guidance for your life and talk to someone about what's going on for you, a Christian friend or one of us pastors. Maybe come forward after the service and have an elder pray with you. God's word says we all need to be saved, so don't miss a chance to take this important step of receiving God's love. So receiving God's word first means take it in deeply and be saved by it. Second, receiving God's word means we need to study the Bible. James keeps stressing the absolutely critical part the Bible plays in our lives. He says, look intently into it. The word there means to bend over and peer closely, to examine carefully. And if that weren't clear enough, James James urges us, continue to look, 
Keep looking intently. Don't stop looking. As I'm getting to know many of you, I've really been impressed by how many of you are studying the Bible like James says. Many of you are discussing the Bible in a Bible study each week or in a small group. And many of us are reading the scriptures in our regular times alone with God. And I know dozens of you use the daily scripture guides that are in the library. They fly out of there fast. James warns us not to forget what we have studied, but to remember it. For thousands of years, God's people have discovered the power of memorizing scripture. But many American Christians have sort of fallen away from that good habit. But First Press, Bellevue, has two big groups here who memorize a ton of scripture every year. Do you know who they are? Exactly, I heard it. Our Sunday school, week after week, our kids look intently into God's perfect law and memorize Bible verses with their teachers and helpers. I hope you've seen kids do this. Scrunching up their faces and staring at the ceiling, reciting their verses. It's, it's great. It's hilarious. And I think it's beautiful. I just feel like I can feel God's pride as I hear kids reciting their verses. What about the other big group? The choir. Very good. Singing scripture is a great way to memorize God's word. And for me, singing makes it a lot easier to remember. You don't have to be in the choir or help with Sunday school to memorize God's word, but it sure helps. I know I do a lot better uh, with that kind of accountability. God wants us to get to know this book. It's not a dead book. If you don't know the Bible as well as you'd like, just start reading it. Start reading about Jesus. Get into a Bible study like the summer series on Ruth that starts next week. God's word is living and active. And God, and God tells us that it gives us freedom. I got a big taste of this freedom at one point in my life. Some of you know that I grew up being very active in the church, and that's partly true. Actually, my relationship with God was very active, and I went to church a lot, but I was very shy. So you can imagine what it is like up here. <laughs> I had accepted God. God's love for me. I try to spend time with Jesus each day. I worship regularly. I went to Bible studies. I memorized scripture. But one Sunday morning at church, I had an epiphany. It struck me that all the Christians I knew were having much more fun than I was. And I suddenly realized that I was missing out on something and that God wanted me to do something with all this Bible knowledge I had. I remember thinking... Jesus loved the outsiders, so I'm going to sit by that door and I'm going to greet every unfamiliar face that comes in and introduce them to someone else. Okay, so all of that occurred to me in a flash. And what was my response? I was terrified. <laughs> in Bible speak, I was sore afraid. <laughs> and unlike Epiphanies in the Bible, no angel showed up to tell me, fear not. <laughs> I remember breaking out in a nervous sweat, frozen in my seat for what seemed like forever while my heart pounded and my mouth went dry. Somehow the Holy Spirit got my legs moving 
and I walked a very long 20 feet to that door. And as I submitted my fears to Jesus and greeted perfect strangers week after week, God began freeing me from my shyness. My fears and insecurities lost their stranglehold. I discovered a whole new world of Christian community and service. And I had a lot more fun. I experienced what James is talking about, what he's urging us to hear. What's his main point again? Receive God's word and live it out. We have to get up from studying the word, walk those 20 feet, and live it out. Yes, we need to accept God's love, which saves us. Yes, we need to study the word. But we also need to translate our head knowledge into action. And that's where James goes next. He challenges us to live it out in three specific areas. Restraining our speech, helping the helpless, and not conforming to the world. First he says, be slow to speak and keep a tight rein on your tongue. If we don't, we are deluded about ourselves and our claim to follow God is worthless. That's pretty strong. But the Bible repeatedly says that the tongue is a good gauge of how deeply God's word is rooted in me. Jesus warned the self-righteous religious leaders in Jerusalem. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, good people bring good things out of the good stored up in them. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in them. I might like to think I'm a nice guy, but if I'm critical or short-tempered or passive-aggressive, Jesus says it's time to take another look in the mirror. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You show me a person who has trouble controlling their mouth, and I'll show you a person who has trouble allowing God's, God's word, God's love, into their heart deep. People who spend time in prayer and scripture and service over a lifetime store up good things and they overflow to others. We'll explore taming the tongue in about three, in three weeks since James devotes a whole other section of his letter to it. The second way James challenges us to receive God's word and live it out is by helping the helpless. We are to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's religion God likes. God has always loved helping the hopeless and the weak. In the Bible, orphans and widows were, were people who usually couldn't provide for their own needs and had no protection from oppressors. Today, this, this passage speaks to how we treat those that we might call disadvantaged or at risk as well as speaking about literal orphans and widows. Here in our church, we have kids who have lost parents, and we have adults who have lost spouses. And God says our faith is worthless if we are not caring for them. That's not the job of some department here. That's your job. That's my job. We are all the hands of Jesus, loving them and helping them with their needs. 
But there are orphans and widows all over the east side. Before coming here, I worked for the YMCA with foster care youth. I had no idea how few foster families there are. Some friends of mine just applied to provide respite foster care, opening their little first home once in a while to an orphan who needs a safe place. I think more of us Christians could use our spare bedrooms doing something like that. God calls us to care for orphans and widows here in our church, around the east side, and across our world. And we are doing just that by building the Center for Champions in Rwanda. Maybe your family sponsors an AIDS orphan, which is a great way to care and pray and learn. God says that when we receive the word, not forgetting what we have heard, but doing it, we will be blessed in what we do. Whole new exhilarating worlds will open up to us. Our fears will fall away as we take our our place in God's great adventure of spreading Christ's kingdom. Let's trust God to bless us as we help the helpless, both as a community and personally as we care for those in need. Restraining our speech, helping the helpless, and the third way James challenges us to receive the word and live it out is to get rid of immorality and keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, to refuse to conform our lives to the pattern of a sinful culture. Jesus models for us a moral purity that is attractive, that distinguishes us from others without distancing us from them. The goal isn't to keep away from the people, the world that God loves. On the contrary, God wants our Christ-like behavior to impact and attract them. But the Bible constantly warns against the opposite result. Don't let what's out there take root in here. And what are the sinful aspects of out there in our Eastside culture? Well, one obvious one is sexual immorality, since that's a universal temptation. Men and women, rich and poor, single and married, regardless of race, culture, time. If you're involved in sex outside of marriage, James says, get rid of that out of your life. But what about the other east side sins we get defiled by? What about greed or envy, always wanting more, always wanting to keep up with the Joneses, if not outdo them one better? Or maybe biggest of all, what about pride? Our basic selfishness and self-sufficiency that breeds individualism and consumerism and apathy and fear. We're afraid we won't have enough or our kids won't get the best. Our trust in God's care and God's sufficiency can get polluted by our culture. We're accustomed to such abundance, and that can be dangerous for us. You know, Solomon prayed that God wouldn't give him so much that he forgot to depend on God. If envy or pride or selfishness have taken root in here for you, James says, get rid of it. Give God your fears. Give God your sins. Refocus on gratitude and how God has provided for you. 
Receive God's word that he loves you and knows what you need and live out your trust in him. As we follow Jesus, he will give us self-control over our speech, compassion to help the helpless, and an inward goodness and purity that attracts people to Jesus. Imagine a track coach whose training regimen consisted of teaching you all about running, the lanes, the other runners, and especially the starting line. For hours you practice getting ready at the starting line, knowing that the start is critical. Ready. You practice positioning your feet in the blocks. Set. You practice rising up and balancing on your fingertips, holding your head just right, remembering all you've learned about running and focusing your thoughts on what will happen when that next word comes. Ready. Set. Ready. Set. The track coach never says go. The team never actually runs. That would be ridiculous. Everyone would agree that without go, training runners to start is pointless. It's not running unless they actually run. That's what James is saying. People receive the word and study the word, and instead of living it out, they decide more study is needed. Ready, set, 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 no go. James says that's worthless. We're not following Jesus unless we're following Jesus. The first followers of Jesus were known by outsiders for three things. Loving one another, care, taking care of the poor, and avoiding sinful practices that were widely accepted. This practical letter of James was being read by the earliest Christians scattered across the Roman Empire. They received this word and lived it out by being quick to listen to one another and speaking in love, by helping the helpless, and by not conforming to the sinful parts of the surrounding culture. Sound familiar? The early church heard this word and grew strong, and the world noticed. Lives and whole societies were transformed, and that's been true throughout history whenever God's people have received God's word and lived it out. Let's pray. God, help us to receive your word, to receive your love, to study your Bible, and to live it out in practical ways every day. And we will give you all the praise. Amen.